0: This episode is brought to you by Loading Bar. Based in three locations, Stoke Newington and Peckham in London and Brighton on the South Coast, Loading offers video game aficionados somewhere to drink, relax and play. Visitors can expect a welcoming space full of free-to-play games, the latest consoles, fresh ground coffee, signature cocktails and video game themed live events. Visit loading.bar for opening times and more information. Hello and welcome to My Perfect Console. I'm Simon Parkin and in each episode I invite a guest to pick the five video games they would like to immortalise on their very own fictional games machine. Perhaps it was the first game they received as a birthday present or the one that so obsessed them it caused them to fail their exams or maybe it was the only thing that got them through a difficult breakup. Games a bit like songs often become powerfully attached to a particular moment in our lives. When we return to them, they can become warp points to the past. So join me, Simon Parkin, for my perfect console. My guest today is an American comedian and actor who played the role of Abed Nadir in the long-running American sitcom Community. Born in Chicago, Illinois, to a Polish mother and an Indian father, he studied communication and theatre at Marquette University in Milwaukee having won the inaugural Chris Farley Scholarship, an award that led him to perform improv comedy alongside Dave Chappelle. In 2005, he moved to Los Angeles and starred in several sitcom pilots before joining the cast of Community, in which he starred for six seasons. In 2017, my guest voiced Huey in the reboot of DuckTales. He has also provided cameo appearances in Captain America the Winter Soldier and Star Trek Beyond, as well as appearing in TV advertisements for the Pokemon and Far Cry series. He currently plays Brad Bakshi, the head of monetization department at a video game studio in the TV series Mythic Quest Raven's Banquet. Welcome, Danny Poody.
3: Thank you so much. What an intro. <laughs> uh, I am uh, it's, I'm honored. I should say, just to clarify that, yeah, 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 I think most of that was true except for the Pokemon. Uh, I don't oh, believe really? I've done anything for Pokemon. Oh, okay. <laughs> Somebody's mentioned that to me before, that that's come up on my bio, and although I would love to... Yeah. <laughs> um, I have um, thus far done nothing with Pikachu or or the Pokemon universe. Uh, okay. But all who right. knows? Maybe maybe we're manifesting that in this podcast. Yeah, yeah.
0: This time next year. <laughs> <laughs> Can I check as well? Did I say your surname correctly? I just wanted to check. Puri. Yes. Puri. Okay, cool, cool. I looked at how Jimmy Kimmel said it and thought I'd copy him, but I don't know how reliable a source he is. So. <laughs> it's all good, oh, yeah. All good. Okay, cool. So, um... You know the two sitcom characters that you you played—they both sort of share an interest in video games. Um, but as well, so I think character-wise, they're pretty much opposites, right? Our bed is this sort of really lovable, straightforward, neurodiverse geek, and uh, Brad, let's say, can be a bit manipulative.
3: Sure. <laughs> uh, yeah. you,
0: you know, what to what extent do you think either of those characters
3: exist in you as a person, or are they both completely alien? Ah, oh, wow. It's uh, a great question. I think in In some ways, I think both characters, um, there are aspects of me that um, are within both characters. And then there are are definitely places within both characters where I have to uh, use my imagination and research and figure out how to inhabit that character. I think that's Kind of the fun of acting is uh, you use what you have, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, and then you get to step in somebody else's shoes for a while. But um, I think with Abed, there were certainly some things that um, I could relate to growing up. I, I think in my experience, you know, uh, I definitely grew up with television. Television was one of my babysitters growing up, right? <laughs> one of my closest friends. And uh, but I will say, I do not have the uh, encyclopedic knowledge that Abed has in terms of pop culture <laughs> references and. Uh-huh. That was very unique to me to to play a character and who sees the world and and references the world uh, through that lens. Yeah, right. You know, and so you know, and then with Brad, Brad is really fun to play. I think there is something about his confidence that is is exciting to to inhabit. And uh, I will say, he also I think collects human hair, so that is something <laughs> I had to. <laughs> uh, imagine what uh, why he's doing that. And oh, that's he, a relief. Okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that part of a uh, uh, Brad is not Danny. I want to make that clear.
0: You asked the writers to put that in, <laughs> <laughs>
3: um, but um, that's the fun. I think in, in in both worlds, I get to um, use kind of what I know from my own personal experience, and then I also get to to build upon that and and explore their world as well. Yeah, yeah.
0: I got to ask, you know, like one of Arbed's catchphrases is where it goes, cool, 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 like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you ever find yourself doing that out and
3: about? Because I certainly do. That's funny. <laughs> I don't, probably because I said it so much, but I do find myself saying, uh, hearing people say that to me in everyday encounters, like if I'm at a coffee shop. Right, right. And.
0: <laughs> what, like deliberately, because they recognize you or just because it's part of their habit?
3: I, I think both. I think, I think I. And sometimes I don't know if they people are trying to connect with me in that way, or if it's just a thing. And so I'll be like ah, and then if they don't say anything, I'll be like ah, oh. okay. Um, so it, it is trying to high to... five
0: them, and yeah, just... yeah.
3: Oh, you get it's not. Oh, I'll forget. It's fine. It's fine. I'll take another croissant. It's cool.
0: Yeah. I'm from the telly, you know. Yeah,
3: <laughs> it's my thing. It's I mean, it's our thing. It's our thing. Yeah.
0: Uh, nice. So. Um... Okay, a a more serious question about Arbed. Mm -hmm. Sorry, I will stop asking about him, but I just love your portrayal of the character. And um, I don't think it's like ever properly referenced in the series, whether he has Asperger's or something similar. Mm -hmm. I think he's like referred to as Arbed, the undiagnosable at one point, but uh, but he certainly seems to like exhibit some of those traits, I would say. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, how much of that was written and how much did you shape that expression of the character?
3: You know, I think that's, uh, I think it all starts from dan Harmon's uh, writing i think dan wrote such a uh, uh, a specific and layered character that um was uh, just such a joy to play and i remember reading the script and and thinking what a a wonderful character to play and 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 to learn from and i remember in i believe in the pilot there is a line where one of the characters says to Abed, um, I see your value now. And it, to me, it was refreshing because I knew that, you know, Abed wouldn't be taken for granted. And there would be this um, nuanced portrayal of he, um, the way he sees the world. So, uh, yeah. um, you know, this was in, back in 2009. So I think the language was probably different back then sure. to how it would be today. One of the characters mentions that uh, something about Asperger's to Abed, but that was probably it. There was no actual other language used, and in terms of uh, portrayal, I, I really leaned on Dan and the writing staff to uh, to help me make sure that I was uh, whatever I was doing was was. Yeah, um, being specific and uh, being true to Abed as a as as a character. Uh, and Abed, by the way, was based on a real character, a real person oh, too. Really? So there was, I know that there was. I, for me personally, I wanted to make sure I was sensitive to the fact that this was a real human being. Uh-huh. Obviously, Abed is a is a character that was written. Did the person know that? You know? I believe so. I believe so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. But uh, I wanted okay. to uh, just make sure that whatever I was doing was 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 was, was true and as layered and as honest as possible. So, and um, I think that was that was kind of the goal, you know, and, and hope it, you know, potentially connected with people.
0: Yeah, I really did. I think there haven't been many portrayals like that, I think, you know, on mainstream shows, certainly where it's not like the main thing. For me,
3: I had never been able to, um, you know, see a version of myself on television or, you know, and so I think in some ways there was... Um, there's aspects of, of Abed as well, where I was like, uh, I just wanted to, I, I was aware of the fact that, especially as the show started airing, that people were connecting to Abed in a way, in a, in a different way, you know? <laughs> and um, that was really special, you know, uh, to see how Abed resonated with me. Yeah, right.
0: Yeah, amazing. And um, I mean, I know you're currently doing some promo for the for the film of Community, but um, uh-huh. so it might be difficult to answer this, honestly, but... Are you still fond
3: of the character? It's interesting. Yeah, I got to go back and uh, figure out how to uh, uh, how to do this again. (laughs) But it's it's been a minute, you know. It's been yeah, yeah. You know, we started filming Community in two thousand nine. So yeah, you know that's what fourteen years ago, which is it's crazy to think that it's somehow still alive and for audiences that it it feels new again. You know, and I think since it's was released on Netflix a few years ago, re-released. Uh, it does feel new again to a lot of audiences. It's just nice to see that it's connecting with new audiences. But yeah, it's been a while since I've played off it. so <laughs> I'm very excited to especially uh, to be in the room again with um, you know, with the the Greendale human beings because, yeah. so much of the world was based on the ensemble and the chemistry, and of course, Dan's writing. and all those pieces coming together again is it, very exciting. But I do feel like, you know, I, I'm hope I'm worried that I'm, I might be a little rusty, <laughs> but hopefully, um, yeah, yeah, it all kind of come back naturally. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure slip right into it. Yeah,
0: so, um, so moving on to let's let's talk about video games for a second. So, you're um, mm-hmm. you play the head of monetization at this video game company in in Mythic Quest. Mm-hmm. I was just wondering, like, what's your relationship with with online games that have monetization? Do you like do you like buy the little costumes and stuff or do you try and stay away from that? I
3: don't really. That's you know, my son actually now is, you know, playing games like Fortnite. Now I watch him play as research for my role as Brad in Mythic Quest. <laughs> right. Wondering what avatars he's into, what new skins um are him and his buddies uh excited about getting, what's the newest Halloween promo? Yeah. yeah. You know, whatever it is. Yeah. That's something that was, you know, growing up I didn't really that wasn't something that was available or a thing in the games that I was playing. Yeah. Uh, So I don't find myself drawn to it as much as I do... Uh, now I'm just curious, almost from a psychological perspective, like what are people drawn to? Right, yeah. right. What's your
0: policy like with your kids? Because I struggle with this sometimes. It's like, mm-hmm. do you buy them the battle pass for Fortnite and how many like, costumes do you let them get?
3: Yeah, yeah. I'm asking for uh, advice
0: here. I know, I know. <laughs>
3: I, well, I'm asking you, Simon, for advice as well. If you figure it out, let me know. I don't know. I think like anything, we're all going through this time... Together, learning and growing and making mistakes together and trying to figure out what is the most responsible and uh, balanced way of existing, right, right, within right. these universes. So I'm learning. Um, I do find myself more open to my family giving give certificates uh, to my kids <laughs> yeah, versus yeah. myself purchasing them. Yeah, and you know I'm, I'm a fan of grinding, grinding your way towards <laughs> towards <laughs> success uh, in all things, not just video games. So. <laughs> I try to use that mantra, but sometimes I get it if, you know, if all your buddies have, the, you know, the coolest new you know, marshmallow skin or whatever it is, right. you know, of the moment. It's hard, yeah, yeah. I, it's hard. It's hard. I get it. I like that you're not a pay-to-win household, though.
0: That's good. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> no.
3: <laughs> you got to draw a line somewhere. Yeah,
0: right. So, okay, Danny, the premise of the podcast is I've asked you to pick the five video games you want to install in your perfect uh, console. Uh, your first choice is from 1985. You must have been pretty young when this uh, when this came out. Can you tell me about it and how you encountered it?
3: Yes. So my first video game—it's actually an arcade game—is Gauntlet. Gauntlet. Ah. I have some memories early on of being with my older brother in an arcade and encountering this machine and seeing four people gather around it playing this game. And it's top down game where you can choose from one of four characters and uh, there's uh there's an elf, there's a wizard, there's a warrior, there's um uh I forget actually the fourth the character. Archer. The sure, archer, archer, there's an archer. Yeah, so anyways, there's these four characters you're playing in. Um, you could choose whichever one, it, and there's a maze, and the objective is to get through this maze, get to the door, find these keys, and each level presents itself as more challenging. There's all these ghosts coming at you and monsters, and um, there's kind of like fun sound effects. But anyways, I just remember, uh, like one of my earliest memories is having pizza. You know, maybe it might have been like Cub Scout's. With my brother, and then afterwards, there was an arcade attached to the uh, to the pizza spot in Chicago. We would just use all our money on Gauntlet in this old arcade machine, old old arcade, playing this game. And I loved playing um, the Archer. Actually, I love uh, the Archer was the fastest of all the characters in Gauntlet, and uh, being able to race through and shoot these arrows, and and then the sound effects. I actually like looked it up recently just because I, I wanted to hear the sound effects again because in my mind I remember like hearing the sound. And there's something so magical about the, the, the key sound, I believe, when you get a key to yeah. open a door. And then there was also like the narrator, which would say like, Save keys to open doors.
0: Red Wizard Needs uh, needs Food Badly is th- is one of them, isn't it? Needs Food Badly, yes,
3: yes, yes. Those uh, those things kind of have stuck with me over time. And anytime I see like an old poster, and I remember, we may have even gotten the game on Genesis back in the day. I just have, I have good memories about uh, playing that arcade game with my brother. Oh, lovely. Have you, you've got more than one sibling, have you? I do. I have like a brother and a sister. I grew up a middle child. I- um, Middle child, right? Yeah, right, right. older brother, younger yeah. sister, and it's um, it's fun to see arcades uh, making a comeback, right? Stranger Things or other uh, other things. I mean, I just went to a retro um, pinball arcade with my son for the first time, and he loved it. And it oh, was, cool! It was just so cool to be back in that world again. Yeah, I just i really miss those sort of public places where you can play. Yeah, there
0: seem to be fewer and fewer of them, but especially like after the pandemic and lockdowns and stuff. Really appreciate being able to. There's just something different, isn't there, about playing next to
3: someone rather than online. There is, and like just that the ability to like walk by and and see, see someone going for a top score and yeah, you know, on a machine. Right, right. There's just some, there's something so I don't know random about it, but also um, the noise of it, the atmosphere in there, the dinging of the lights, and uh, uh. you know, it's uh yeah, there's um there's an excitement there that is um I don't know like tangible. It's really cool.
0: Yeah, yeah. So you you grew up in in Chicago, and you're, as I mentioned in the intro, your your mum is Polish and your dad is Indian. That's right. That seems like uh, maybe
3: a, a rarer pairing of cultures to to normal. How did they How did they meet? So yeah, my family uh, from a family of immigrants. My mother um, came here from Poland, like you said, and my father came from India. And in the 1970s, late 1970s, uh, they met actually at a school where they were both taking uh, English language courses. And, um, you know, there was a wonderful mix of people there from many different places. And I think they just connected, just connected. And it's it was pretty cool. So yeah, obviously from different parts, uh, parts of the world, but um. You know, Chicago brought them together, and <laughs> you know, here I am. So yeah. I feel like it's just such a wonderful gift to have uh, that background. Yeah, incredible. And did you? Did you? What language did you speak? Like in the house growing up? Then? So kind of a unique background because although my parents came together, they got divorced when I was very little. So I ended up living with my Polish grandparents in Chicago. Okay. And I think mm-hmm. uh, if people aren't familiar, Chicago is a pretty large. Polish population, a Polish community, and it also has a large South Asian community. So it, it makes sense that those two worlds would would collide in some ways. Um, but uh, yeah, I ended up living with my grandparents. My grandmother was the first of our family to come to America, and she was uh, living in this neighborhood on the the southwest side of the city. And you know, while my mom was working, and I lived with my grandparents, so we spoke Polish at home, and I ended up speaking Polish at home and speaking English outside. And it, unfortunately, I didn't get to, to learn Telugu, which is what my family speaks. Right. Okay. my Indian side, but I at least got to learn some Polish. Yeah, right. And have you visited Poland? I have, yes. I've been to both countries and still have a lot of relatives in both places. And that's pretty wonderful always knowing in the back of your mind that there's, you know, cousins and, uh, you know, people looking out for you in, in different parts of the world. And I've been fortunate enough to actually, before the pandemic, our last big international trip, we uh, took the kids to Poland for one of my, um, cousin's weddings actually and that was really lovely we got to go with my mom and um it was nice my mom got to show my kids where she went to school we got to go back to her small her her, her hometown and oh lovely we got to eat some delicious pierogi it was fantastic Ah, oh,
0: so good so and and tell me what, what were you like as a kid then i mean i suppose you know where parents getting divorced quite young can be quite tough on young kids was uh uh, did that affect you greatly
3: undoubtedly <laughs> I think it's probably led to my career choice and I think for me my medicine was always comedy and performance I think that came naturally to me as as a way to express myself and uh, my place in this world I think being between worlds was um, it's just something that was always with me and you know at home I always felt like our 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 home was normal. I never felt weird or anything. It was just kind of like how we lived. And, you know, but then when I step outside into the world, I noticed that they were, uh, you know, I was perceived differently, you know, so there was always this, these questions about identity that I, I think I was thinking about from an early age. Um, Uh, uh. And so being on stage felt like a really nice place to explore that and, and to hide in some ways. Uh, Yeah. So I was fortunate because I was on stage, pretty early on. My grandma and my mom put me in plays and dance classes from a very early age. And so uh, I didn't recognize it at the time, but I realized over time how valuable that was to me. And it became a second home for me, a place where I could feel like, okay, great, there's a a beginning, a middle, and an end. I could step into somebody else's shoes for a while. Uh, I could play here and then disappear for a while. So I think that was, um, I think over time, I realized that Yes, uh, my parents' divorce and my identity—all these things—kind um, of contributed to how I see the world and and led to me led me in many ways to where I am today.
0: Yeah, yeah. When you say like it's a place to hide on stage, um, some people might think that sounds a little strange because obviously you're in you're under the spotlight, yeah. right? Yeah. Do, do you mean that it's like giving you a um, giving you a script so you know how to be in front of people or something else?
3: That's a good way of looking at it. Yeah, I think that. When you step out into the real world and have interactions, there are no rules, really. right? <laughs> you know, there's there's safety on stage in some ways because there is. You know, there's a first act, a second act, a third act. There's yeah, then an entrance, there's an exit, um, there's a character that uh, that you can play, and so there is there's there's definitely some safety there, which I think as a kid I really took to right there yes. there's kind of an understanding of how it works you know and as a kid i definitely had some identity struggles and you know um and so i being on stage almost felt it did feel safer in some ways it felt like i i knew how to be a character i knew how to play a character i knew how to 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 do this once i practice and rehearse i knew how to do this dance or whatever that was
0: <laughs> right right yeah. yeah cool okay should we uh, why don't we take a break and come to your, your second game which is from uh, december Nineteen ninety-two. What's this game and and why do you love it? Okay, so the
3: second game is NHL Hockey 93. NHL 93. Some might ask uh, about this game choice. I don't know much about hockey, I have to admit. (laughs) I'm a huge sports fan and so there's a lot of games that were kind of up in the mix that i played i spent i would say the most uh, the games i've spent the most time playing in my life are sports games whether that's like an nba jam or madden football those are the games that um uh, i i find myself like thinking about like with high school buddies and college buddies playing. and um one of the games i think about the most that i've played with friends is nhl hockey 93. And in college, my roommates and I, we had an old beat-up Sega Genesis. Uh, And one of the games that we had just always just playing and people would just have tournaments and we would just have these tournaments with like all my roommates going back and forth and was NHL 93. And then for whatever reason, that became the game of of our dorm where we just played it and played it and played it at Marquette. I I think I remember learning hockey through that game, learning (laughs) the sport of hockey. Right, right. I was a huge fan of Jeremy Roenick. And the Blackhawks were incredible and uh, at Belfort. And, you know, but I'd also played in the Toronto Maple Leafs, Thuron Flory, Calgary Flames. There were some incredible players in that game. And I learned how to, I think it's called Deke, when you try to fake out the goalie and then put the puck in the net. And that game was just, just a really fun and easy to manage game. I believe there was some fighting in it. I, I, I can't even yeah, remember yeah. exactly all the details. Definitely. Yeah, but there was. Uh, it kind of had a lot of games in one. Yeah, so, <laughs> so you get a little bit of your boxing game. You get a little bit of your sports game. Um, and then, you know, because I was in college with people from across the country, one of my roommates was from Boston, one from St. Louis. Um, it was fun to be able to take on whatever team you're, you know, my city was Chicago. So I get to play the Blackhawks against the St. Louis Blues or against, you know, the Bruins and that, that to me, uh, again good memories of playing with my buddies in college
0: it's funny you say about you learning the rules for how to play
3: yeah ice hockey throw because it's like you know growing up in london um
0: in the 90s you know i would also put me and my brother would play like nhl uh, um, yeah ice hockey games but also like madden and stuff and like these sports are not popular (laughs) in the uk (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. so like no one no one knows how to play american football the rules are like it arcane let's say <laughs> uh-huh. and uh, so yeah you end up learning to play through video games and i don't know how accurate all the rules are but uh,
3: uh yeah i don't either but it's it, at least it gives you some familiarity you know um, right right you know and uh yeah so i i consider that uh research for all the parents out there when your kids are playing NHL hockey or sports games they're it's educational too yeah 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 <laughs> So you,
0: you mentioned being in your in your dorm there at, uh, at at university was the was the plan at this point to to become an actor or did you did you have other dreams at that time
3: dreams yes the plan that's another thing uh, <laughs> the plan was to go to college and figure it out uh you know like a, like you mentioned i I'm an immigrant family and i think college was uh, very important uh for my family and i knew i needed to go to college and but I truly didn't know exactly what I was going to do. I didn't know what I was, I knew I was interested in in acting and I started taking theater classes at uh, Marquette and that I think pointed me in the direction of, of, you know, of theater and acting. But I, I, I don't know if I ever really believed it was actually a viable career path. something that I could actually do. I didn't have many examples in my community of people who were doing that. And so I don't know how real it felt to me, but, um, I did start auditioning for plays. I started doing performances. I was in a couple musicals at Marquette. I was in Into the Woods and Godspell. And I took an acting class. And I actually had a very, just a wonderful mentor, my my theater instructor in college, Phyllis Ravel. Um, had a, she was very frank with me. She had a conversation with me about this being something a path I could take. Right. That uh, going into comedy as a career was something that was possible for me. And I remember her talking to me about that and specifically referencing sitcoms like Seinfeld. No way. It was maybe the first time where I had someone, I think I had a lot of people who always believed in me more than I believed in myself. But she uh, she was one of the first, pers- first people that I remember putting into words something that I kind of always maybe wanted to do, but just didn't fully believe in myself enough to actually say that I wanted to do it. And um, that really sparked me, I think, uh, to actually trying to... To trying to do it you know yeah yeah and um, those
0: moments can be so impactful when like uh you know, so, I know someone with some authority and expertise and all of that just says actually you could do this like yeah because a lot of the time particularly with a with a you know comedy or acting like that's a career that most adults go you should probably try and do something else <laughs> do you know what i mean yeah <laughs> yeah
3: yeah and I was doing that to myself always. I was always saying, like, right. yeah, maybe I'll do that, but I'll also do this. I always had a, another job. I had a day job until I booked community. Right. You yeah. know, uh, and I still haven't quit. So technically, I still have that job. <laughs> um, but it's, um, yeah, it's, and and for many reasons, it is a big risk, <laughs> right. you know, and, but to have someone who actually can really sees you and kind of gives you that boost, you know, that is someone that's not your family. Yeah, right. You know, someone who actually, you know, has no, you know they're they're only saying that because they actually I think really believe it you know and that was really nice for and refreshing for me to hear you know and I think in many is it's kind of what I needed I needed that push and how did it work with this scholarship then did you already have that at this point it was right around the same time so I think she recommended me for that scholarship I don't remember the exact order but um, she was involved in that and um you know this was after Chris Farley. Uh, after he passed away, he went to Marquette University. And okay, I was obviously a huge fan um, of Chris Farley and his work. I watched Saturday Night Live as a kid all the time. And and I mean, his physical comedy was just just thrilling. It was exhilarating watching him on stage, you know. And then, you know, all these kind of pieces started to come together where I ended up being recommended for this scholarship and I won it. And at the same time, I was kind of, figuring out what my major was and what I want to do and I was like I think I want to actually pursue comedy or acting I want to I want to do that I was doing more theater in school and then that led me to uh, Second City which is where Chris Farley trained and, and many other <laughs> um, you know the famous and brilliant comedians Tina Fey you know, Amy Poehler Stephen Colbert Steve Carey, uh, so many and from there um, I actually went there with another student uh, Chris Bureka from Marquette she's a brilliant comedian and We ended up going there together to study and I think that's when I really started to take it seriously, and started to, which is kind of funny to think, but like I started taking comedy seriously and I remember having some, a teacher yell at me being like, you need to take this seriously. And it was my comedy instructor (laughs) and I was like about to cry Uh, and I'm like, this is the weirdest thing ever. He's yelling, I'm crying and we're talking about comedy (laughs) But it all kind of makes sense because all those things are true. Yeah. <laughs> when you're doing comedy, sometimes you want to laugh, sometimes you want to cry, sometimes you want to scream. Yeah, right. Yeah,
0: yeah. Can I just very quickly ask, uh, so going back to the, the scholarship, because it was the first year, like you say, that you, you got it. Mm-hmm. Do, do you remember what you had to do for that? Because I imagine that must have been quite a lot of
3: pressure, like if you had to like do a skit or something. I, you know what? So I actually don't remember much. I know I, uh, I believe I sang a song in Polish. Yeah. You know, for it i think i had it was an interview process i had to be interviewed as well i may have had to play a character or done a monologue so some of that yeah yeah. some of that <laughs> i actually don't remember all the details i do remember having to be interviewed about it and and the fact that i got to meet the farleys and um who you know i still actually am in touch with with john farley and, oh lovely and um since then i've performed with john and kevin farley the brothers uh, at marquette oh that's so nice um <laughs> yeah it, which has been really cool and th- it, again that was one of those moments where it, it really helped me realize that this thing that maybe i've always wanted to do in the back of my mind but was was too scared to admit uh-huh. uh, was actually something that was possible and yeah, yeah. uh do you remember that
0: it- do, do, do you remember the first time that you, you made an audience laugh like for something you'd, you'd come up with?
3: Well, I have a couple of stories. I, I think in terms of making an audience, I, I do remember writing a story in fifth grade, either fourth or fifth grade. We had a, a, an assignment to write a story and then read it in front of the class. I remember my teacher selecting me to read it in front of the class, and I wrote a story about a bird, and I think it was loosely, loosely inspired um, by Woodstock, <laughs> and um, and I just remember making the, the class laugh. Don't remember the details of the story. Right, right.
0: Remember the, the
3: feeling. I remember <laughs> that feeling and hearing the kids laugh as I was reading the story. And, and I, I don't know, it was almost like I wasn't expecting it. But from that moment, I was hooked. I want more of that. I want more of that experience. Yeah. Around the same time, I was also performing in um, some plays with a, I was in a Polish school in full oh. and I had been doing some uh, some performances there and I remember and actually have, have, have seen some videos of making again people laugh with uh, a couple other buddies yeah, in the Polish school that I was at in Chicago um, and it was that same feeling, it was like I, I remember thinking that there's something so cool about being able to you know, have a straight face and say something very silly and see, you know, adults laugh uh, at my performance. I don't know. There was something really fun about that. So it was probably around fourth or fifth grade, 10 or 11 years old. I had a couple of those moments that I just remember thinking like, oh, this is, there's something here. This is kind of what I want to do. Okay. So I
0: think we're staying in in your dorm room, I guess, for this next game, your third choice. Uh, because it's from a similar time to NHL hockey from June 1993. Uh, what's uh what's this game?
3: Okay, so actually, this game is is more about my high school experience. Okay, mm-hmm. even though they're out of order years wise. Um, my my mom actually worked in the video game industry for many years. Really, so my mother worked for uh, williams Valley Midway. No way. And it was a company that made um a lot of uh, a lot of games, pinball games, arcade games, and she worked, um, in their, uh, information systems department in Chicago back in the day. And there were some nights where there were issues, uh, with the server or tech issues. And I remember her having to take me to work with her while she was figuring out a problem with engineers. And, uh, sometimes that would feel like, uh, this is, a. Uh, this is going to be really boring, but I always kind of look forward to it because in the basement of our work were all these games. No way! And <laughs> and so I got to to go there all the time, and um, and Mortal Kombat was one of those games. Mortal Kombat Two, and we eventually uh, were given one of these games, Mortal Kombat Two. My mom bought it. I remember how it worked out, but she just went down to the basement. Yeah, I came into my garage and <laughs> and my house, and we had Mortal Kombat two sitting there. That was in high school, and you know, you immediately have friends. <laughs> <laughs> Did
0: you kind of announce that at uh, school? Then the next day, hey, guess what I've got at my place?
3: <laughs> I didn't want to because I was like, I don't know, yeah, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to have a line. I don't want to have this like you know, speakeasy style arcade in the back of my garage in Chicago. But uh, but it was cool. Me and my buddies used to love it. My brother and his friends, we'd all gather in the garage after school and and play Mortal Kombat 2. And you know, discovering the fatalities was another incredible layer of that game because I don't, I've never seen anything like that. And I remember just being so shocked. Right, right. I now I don't remember exactly which one was the one where you turn into a baby. I think you could turn your opponent into a baby. There were, but there was just the level of of. Uh, I'm surprised this in that game, you know. Yeah. Um, Did you do you think him? Um, do you think your mom knew about the fatalities when she bought it for you? Absolutely not. Absolutely <laughs> not. If she knew that we were in the garage, like pulling like spinal cords out of our opponents, or <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, burning them, or you know, pulling out their hearts. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean, with Raiden, you're just like electrocuting your opponents. It, it was uh, incredibly uh. violent. Uh, but again, for um, 16, 17 year seventeen-year-old me, oh boy, that was fun with my buddies. Yeah,
0: right. Yeah, yeah, because it was you know, Mortal Kombat was really one of those first real mor- moral panic games in America, wasn't it? In the nineties. That...
3: Yeah, I, I should say that. Um, you know, to my mom, sorry about that, mom. I don't think you knew, but <laughs> the game didn't. The the arcade game didn't last very long in our <laughs> in our uh, in our garage, I think it was soon replaced by a pinball machine, right. Called Corvette which was a pinball game called Corvette. Um, right. <laughs> I think when my mom realized that, you know, that, that there was a line of of high school boys going into the garage, uh, screaming at each other and, and laughing, she knew something was up. <laughs> oh,
0: that's incredible. Wow, what a good time that was. Nice. Okay, so, so tell me about, um, let's just go back to your your story a bit. So tell me about moving to, to L.A. Was that... Um, Was that hard? You are going in 2005. So, yeah, I guess you were in your 20s by that point. But uh, did it feel like a leap of faith?
3: Definitely. You know, I I got married um, and my wife and I, I think we both had this idea of of moving somewhere. You know, we actually met at Marquette. You know, we we talked, we had uh, dreams of moving or living somewhere else. And, you know, we were in Chicago for a minute. And then I remember talking to her about like L.A., like, I think I want to move to L.A. I think I want to try, really want to try this. And, you know, she was just so incredibly supportive and, and excited about it. And she's like, well, if you can convince your day job to let you work from California, I'll do it. Let's do it. And so that next day I went to my boss and, you know, he was incredibly supportive. And immediately was like, great, when do you want to go? And again, this is another example of, of people believing in me more than i believed in myself right yeah yeah then and cuz i had no plan other than move to la and you know at, and try this you know we did we just did it we just we packed up the honda accord and we drove across country i was i had um i shouldn't say i had zero plan because i did have at least a contact and that i was in a showcase actually at second city um that um my friend invited me to perform in and it was actually a, a showcase that was sponsored by nbc And I had met a producer at NBC at the time. And she had said to me that if you're ever in Los Angeles, let me know. And the timing actually really worked out well. And then they were doing a showcase in LA when I moved out in 2005. Oh, nice. I got into that showcase. I met my, you know, my agent, my manager there and. You know, I met some casting directors from The West Wing, which is where I had my first uh, speaking line on television. No way! Um, <laughs> at that showcase, it was one line. Guest list for the Cleveland <laughs> event. You know, dynamic Sorkin walking to yeah, right. And <laughs> <laughs> but um, things just started to fall into place. Um, we drove out the uh, the fall of two thousand five. We drove cross country from Chicago and. And, um, it was an incredible adventure that, um, you know, that was, it was just a really fun adventure, but no plan. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's amazing. It came together so
0: quickly. So I I guess you didn't have time to sort of consider giving up. You were already sort of off and and everything's happening. Yeah.
3: It was a wonderful time and it was, um, you know, we were, we just got married and my wife actually was going back to to grad school. So uh, there was room and space in our lives Uh, for that kind of adventure, you know, and, I'm just really grateful that, you know, obviously, for my wife and um and family who were al- always just supportive and and obviously for my day job as well, where so uh, you know, I could afford an apartment <laughs> while I was auditioning, yeah, right. And then do you remember
0: where you were when you when you landed the role of Abed? Because I guess that's the role that really, really turbocharges everything for you, right?
3: Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I remember a couple things. So that night was my birthday. It was my birthday, the, the day I got the role of Abed. Perfect. And so that felt like the greatest birthday gift ever. And I had uh, dinner with Yvette Nicole Brown and another friend of mine named Chris Mars, who is a writer and performer actually from Marquette as well. So it was just kind of this magical day where for many reasons I just I just I couldn't believe it was, it was real because when I read the script for community I was trembling because I loved it so much it was so specific I wanted to play this character but I knew it was a show that I would watch and I wanted it, it just it just felt so so offbeat and 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 so so sp- specific. Dan's writing was just incredible. So yeah. Um, and then to to get the part after, especially after all the the hoops. Yeah, I, I think I auditioned four maybe five times for it. Wow, cool. Did you meet any of the uh, Did you meet any of the other Abed's, prospective Abed's? I did. Oh yeah, I did. You know, I met the actual the real Arbed, um, who is the person Arbed. that I think yeah, who I met at the audition, and uh, you know so that's always unique when you realize like you walk into a room and you see like, okay, it's, it could be anyone, man. you know, and you just, you just hope that you're the best for the part and it works out.
0: Mm -hmm. Of course. Stressful. (laughs) Yeah. And then, you know, you you mentioned there, your, um, your relationship on screen relationship with your, your roommate, Troy Barnes, who played by Donald Glover. I mean, for me, it's just one of the, one of the classic platonic love stories, like in, in modern TV. And, um, you know i appreciate you were you were both acting and you are both very fine act- actors
3: but uh, you know did you also foster that kind of affection off screen you know i think we did i think it was it was something where i think Donald and i as soon as we were together we just had fun you know we i think we shared a lot of uh, a lot of things in common and and uh, we just found ourselves goof around and just talking a lot and so a lot of that just kind of led into the show and mm-hmm. um you know, including like the first tag, which was that uh, the Spanish rap. Um, I think that was inspired by Donald and I. You we were doing an interview or we talking somewhere, and it it led into this weird freestyle. Uh, obviously, Donald is an incredible artist, and <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I think Dan saw that interview and was like, "Hey, I think I want to do something with that," and that kind of led to this pairing us in many ways yeah. for these uh, extended bits. You know, and Donald and I, like, we also had done sketch comedy before the show. And right. He, had, uh, he was performing with a group, Derek Comedy, and obviously wrote on 30 Rock. And, and so I think there was a lot of shared interests that kind of uh, all of a sudden started, you know, I think uh, Dan and some of the writers picked up on
0: and started mm-hmm. adding
3: those into the show.
0: Right, right, right. Yeah.
3: Did you ever play video games together? Because obviously your characters are into all that. Trying to think, we actually played on set. Not really. I mean, one of the games which I'll talk about later is the game that I played on set a lot. But we never really, we didn't play a lot of games. It's not like we had an Xbox on set. We were playing on set. We were all sure. kind of just sitting around talking or filming or riffing. It was a lot of that on set. Yeah,
0: oh, it sounds like a good time. Oh, okay, well, why don't we come to your fourth game, which I guess is from
3: around this time, two thousand and seven. Um, Tell us about this one. So this is one of the games that I find myself thinking about, again, from a specific time in my life, which was when we were filming Community. We had long hours on set and oftentimes we'd be sitting in our trailers for extended hours and I wanted to make sure I stayed awake and alert and still creative. And this was one of those games that I played is Professor Layton in the Curious Village. remember discovering this game i've always loved puzzle games i just uh brain teasers things like that i've always enjoyed because you can pick them up whenever and you can put them down whenever and they give you sort of these momentary successes you know you can kind of quickly have an eight minute success you know (laughs) this game was great i love the animation the style of it felt like almost like a studio ghibli film it's it was like soft and warm so it's easy to kind of jump into the world I love how the characters dress. I wanted to dress like them. That explains your uh, top hat and monocle on this call for the listeners. Thank you so much. Yeah, exactly. I was wondering if you are going to pick up on that. Yeah, it has nothing to do with Abraham Lincoln. It has nothing to do with Sherlock Holmes. No, it's Professor Layton. Um, if there was a game in a world that I could live in, it might be Professor Layton and These Adventures. This game is a series of puzzles. You show up in this village, and then in order to receive any clues to this, to this puzzle, you have to... Uh, before engaging with any anybody you have to solve all these riddles and each person has a different riddle one of the riddles that I remember is this riddle about chairs and you have to decide which which chair is best in an auditorium uh, a multi-purpose auditorium and they, they show you a picture of like six chairs and it's it, and all the puzzles are random some of them are mazes some of them are math uh, uh, it's uh, a wonderful brain exercise yeah, yeah. and like I said this is something I was very fond of and I played a lot while we were filming the community to kind of just kind of stay awake.
0: Yeah, yeah. And all all of the puzzles so take place within this village and they're working towards a greater sort of mystery that you as a detective are trying to figure out. So yeah, just such a lovely feel, isn't it, that game? I mean it's
3: really And I mean the rest of them. I so that's a game that I've kind of like stuck with, but that first one, I just remember discovering that and thinking, This is like the perfect game for me. Like you said, it's just like a lovely feel. The village, the animation, the mystery is like It's just it's it's it's, to me it's like a perfect riddle game. I loved it.
0: Wonderful. So you know you you mentioned there about uh, Donald's rapping being picked up and put into um, community, and that happened. I think with some of your own characters' traits came from things in your own life, and uh, one of which being that you like to run marathons.
3: I do. I do. Yeah. Yeah. How do you get into that? You know, we so. uh... When my wife and I, before we got married, I, yeah, I think before we got married, we ran a marathon together. And since then, we've kind of kept running. You know, I ran track in high school, and it's something that I've always gone back to. I've always just enjoyed running, and it's just become a part of my everyday routine over the years. It's, um, I don't know, there's something very grounding about it. I've always felt like when I feel anxious or, um, scattered. it's It just kind of helps me in my everyday. Um, and it helps in random and mysterious ways. Sometimes it helps me just to uh-huh. uh-huh. so run so I can memorize lines better. It clears my head. It's um, But anyway, it's become this practice. It's really become a practice. And I love the idea of having a goal. Uh, a marathon gives you a real definite goal because you can't really cheat it. <laughs> <laughs> right. The only way to do it is by a lot of preparation and work and it's really hard, but I just love the challenge of it, and it feels so good to, to finish. So uh, since then I've run, I think, five marathons and sure. a number of half yeah. marathons as well, and I continue to run races, ideally once a year with a couple of buddies. Um, uh, two of them are writers on Community, and we, um, uh, we've we done some destination races together, and I find it just, uh, just really fun, and it's a great way to also, if I'm traveling, to... To explore the new city or wherever I wherever I'm at, right? Um, uh, uh, it's a nice way to uh, to ground myself too, wherever I'm at.
0: Yeah, yeah. Which has been your favorite destination marathon you've done?
3: You know, I've done that the Vegas night marathon, Las Vegas night marathon, which oh cool, which is just really different because you're running down the strip, the Las Vegas strip at night, <laughs> that's, that's, and that's just something <laughs> that feels like you're a weird music video. It's post. Apocalyptic, maybe I don't know. Maybe you're like in like yeah, The Last of Us. Whatever it is, it feels odd running through <laughs> the strip at night and just seeing all the neon signs and the bright lights. So that was pretty cool. Uh, I've run St. George uh, in Utah. That is just really beautiful. The rocks and the landscape feel like nothing else. And uh, Portland's a wonderful, a wonderful um, place to run. It feels like. Running in Portland go hand in hand. So I've been, uh, yeah, right, like, right. fortunate to run in a lot of cool places. That's amazing.
0: Oh, yeah. When you say it helps you learn your lines, what do you what do you mean by that? Are you have you already sort of got it in your head, and you're going through them
3: when you're running. So I don't know exactly what what the reasons are for that, but uh, I do know that movement and movement is very valuable for me in terms right. of performance. Mm-hmm. Whether I'm exploring a character. Thinking about a character movement uh, is is a tool I use to help me kind of figure out who I'm do- who I'm playing, what I'm thinking about, and so mm. when I when I run, it is also a way to kind of shake everything out and kind of come back to something. So you're not just like in your head the whole time. Yeah, yeah. For me, it's a great way of getting back into my body and, and really kind of just like clearing my head. And I feel like when I come back after a run or a walk, uh, same thing after a long walk, mm. I just I feel just a little bit more open that makes sense yeah, yeah yeah
0: yeah oh completely yeah yeah that happens in writing as well like definitely you can be stuck on something and then you go for a walk or a run and yeah. just your subconscious is something unlocks and yeah. you find a way forward right yeah really? you can stare at the trees
3: you have to make sure you know you're <laughs> avoiding any obstacles potholes and cars and, and cyclists then you come back and you're like oh the lines look brand new again yeah you know it's cool yeah exactly
0: cool well i mean speaking about getting getting out into the world this is uh, very much what your fifth game on your list is all about um so from 2017 tell us about this one
3: 2017 incredible game my favorite game of all time uh, until the next one comes out breath of the wild just a massive, beautiful game that I just loved existing in. I played the game for so long on the Switch, and uh, it was one of those games where I remember seeing the trailer for it, and immediately being so excited, and I couldn't wait for it to come out. I played Zelda as a child, and Ocarina of Time is one of my favorite games as well, and so it's a character and a world that I felt like has been with me my whole life. There are a few games that like that, maybe none for me, where I've just enjoyed the world and each new twist, you know, and and I played them all. Link's Awakening. I mean, they've all been really fun for me to kind of jump into. But Breath of the Wild is like, unlike any other game. I think it's it's massive. There's all these new things introduced. Walking into memories is is something that I felt like I've always wanted to do in my real life, and I do. <laughs> I find myself doing in real life if I right, you know, uh, I you know I walk into. Uh, you know, I walk into a deli uh, back in Chicago. I immediately feel like I'm, I'm 10 years old with my grandma, <laughs> you know, um, and to be able to do that in the game and kind of piece together your own story and, and recapture all the capturing all these memories. That's that, that's a cool piece. Cooking. You get to cook in that game, <laughs> making elixirs and you gather ingredients like rice and rock salt and a porgy. And next thing you know, you can make seafood fried rice. You could spend uh, hours and hours just cooking up elixirs and meals in that game, which uh, some people would say is a waste of time. I would say it's <laughs> it's a wonderful, episode. right, right. And uh, again, the animation is wonderful. The story is massive. The challenges are, are 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 very challenging, but it's just such a great, beautiful game. Beautiful game. Loved it. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And uh, I should say that's also that's the game where. My son and I were both playing at the same time. Oh, nice! Maybe the first, like, so it was my introducing the world of Zelda to my son, oh. which was really cool. You know, uh, both of us playing at the same time and trying to figure out how to get past divine what, the the beasts and 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 try to conquer shrines and and all that together. So uh, that was really fun to be able to, uh, I guess, pass on the world of Zelda. Yes, to my how kids. was that
0: working? Were you did you have the controller or did your kid have the controller and How is was the dynamic? My son's
3: better at video games than I am already. Immediately, I've never been good (laughs) at playing video games. I get distracted by cooking, for instance. I have more fun (laughs) trying to um, (laughs) to make paella. Right. Uh, So my son definitely has a knack for it. But um, that's that's kind of been fun to uh, to, uh, I guess um, see how each of us can enjoy the same game.
0: Yeah. Right. Is he looking forward to to the next Zelda? We're speaking I guess maybe four or five weeks before it comes out. So Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. Y- yeah. There's
3: been a few times where he's like, "Dad, we've pre-ordered it, right? We've pre- we've pre-ordered it, right, Dad?" Yes. Yes, we have. <laughs> um yeah. so I think we're both very very excited uh, excited about it. I think it's coming out soon. I think I've heard that they've just had some uh, the the newest or last trailer has just come out. I don't I don't know when we're gonna, yeah. this is going to come out, but uh, I'm I'm so pumped. Uh, I just can't wait to spend time in that world. Yeah, me neither. It's going to be good, I think. Cool. Okay,
0: Danny, let's go through your, your console here. So we've got um, Gauntlet, NHL Hockey 1993, Mortal Kombat 2, Professor Layton and the Curious Village, and The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. That is an eclectic
3: bunch of games. How are you feeling about it? Fantastic. I want to play them all <laughs> right now, but there's just not enough time and I need sleep. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, okay, so we need to uh, we need to give your your console a a, ne- a brand name that we can use to put it out into the world. What would you like to call this? No sleep. <laughs> the No Sleep. I love it. Very good. <laughs>
3: <laughs> have you ever uh, have you ever played all through the night on a game? I have not, but I've definitely played games way too late cuz I'm trying to get past a level or whatever it is and you get all like you know, like oh, I'm so close, I'm so close, I'm cl- so close, and then you believe that, like if you you're in the rhythm, so you have to you have to do it now, right? Sometimes you you fully believe, you know, until you you find yourself crying and then going to sleep, and you're like, why am I crying? <laughs> uh, so yeah, I I've never played through a night, I don't think, but I've definitely played way too. Yeah, long. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, just before I let you go, Danny, um, you know you've obviously landed some
0: pretty special character roles in your time uh, what advice might you have to a to a young actor listening to this who is going into an audition how how would you advise that they um, you know they they nail it uh,
3: going into an audition so i think for me preparation matters so sitting with something and sometimes you don't have a lot of time to sit with something but when i think when i say preparation it's not necessarily for the character the script the role uh, it's also for myself uh, to allow myself to be open and relaxed as a performer, right? That for me means exercise, a good meal, making sure my my tummy's not growling. And then if I do have the material, whatever that is, or if I have the character, uh, thinking about it as much as I can prior to the audition. So that way I feel like I uh, I know the world that I'm going to step into, but I also feel in my own body um, as Danny, calm and grounded, and open to whatever comes my way. So I think those are the things. Uh, and sleep. Uh, you actually, even though my video game system is called No Sleep, I actually think sleep is vital and maybe the the most important thing we can all do to feel prepared and alert. Yeah, and really. that's
0: some great advice. I think that uh, carries not just to. <laughs> To actors going into auditions but all all kinds of situations so yeah thank you yeah Uh, man it's been so good to talk to you and um, just thank you for your work as well I really really have appreciated it over the years I know lots of other people do so thank you for talking to me and sharing your, your memories I appreciate
3: it oh thank you Simon I really appreciate that
0: danny poody everyone what a thoroughly lovely time that was i was um, speaking to danny late in the evening here in the uk and uh, he was sitting somewhere very sunny and warm it was looked like it was midday somewhere uh, in a beautiful part of california which made me think oh that looks nice <laughs> uh, but it was uh yeah it was just lovely to to chat to him he seemed really relaxed and um At quite an interesting moment I guess as he's about to go into filming uh, for the Community movie. If you've watched the Community series you may remember that his character Arbed says at one point that the thing that everyone's aiming for is six seasons and a movie and it looks like the cast of Community uh, got that wish, that dream Uh, I think they're filming, they start filming in June 2023 and I guess uh, the film will be out at the end of the year uh, in the meantime, you can see you can see Danny in a recent Amazon film, somebody I used to know, uh, which he stars in alongside his community co-star Alison Bree, and it's filmed by her husband Dave Franco as well. Uh, and of course, you can also see Danny in Mythic Quest, where he stars alongside former My Perfect Console guest Ashley Birch, uh, and all of those things are, are worth. Worth looking into. Uh, I'm. I was a super fan of uh, of community. You probably got that vibe from the beginning of our chat. Uh, I would be. I would love to speak to anyone from from that cast, of course. Uh, apart from maybe one, uh, uh, but uh, I was especially delighted to be able to talk to Danny because Albert's such a interesting and unusual and special character. I think uh, in many different ways. So, what a treat that was for me. And, uh, yeah, oh my gosh. Uh, turns out that his was the garage to visit uh, the high school uh, Pudi household with that Mortal Kombat 2 cabinet and the, the line of kids lining up to get inside. I liked to, when he described that like a speakeasy. Um, and then his mum, obviously, uh, deciding to move that cabinet on at some point and bring home uh, a Williams pinball machine instead from work. That sort of probably makes sense and as was the right thing to do okay you can i don't think danny is on social media so uh you'll just have to follow me instead you have to come to twitter assuming it's still around at simon parkin and you can follow the podcast as well at my perfect console with the o's removed each week i do a little preview of who's coming up next week so you can listen to a clip uh, from the show and uh yeah you know it's just nice to hear from you if you uh, use that site. i so also on Instagram where I post uh, about the episodes that are coming out. And uh, I think that's about it for now. That's a, that's enough work just to maintain those two, to be honest. Um, if you do want to support the show financially, head to Acast Plus uh, and search for My Perfect Console. And you can become an Early Access subscriber, supporter for just £3 a month. You'll get your episodes 24 hours early and at free Uh, you can also write to me at myperfectconsole at gmail.com thank you to those of you who have done that just to say hi to suggest guests to offer your feedback it's all uh, really welcome i try to get back to all of those Uh, if i haven't done apologies Um, but yeah please do please do write to me Um, and if you'd like to sponsor an episode as well you can just get in contact on that email address and uh, we can chat about that and see if something will work um that'd be great okay i will be back next week with another guest with their five favorite games and one more perfect console until then have a great week